Okay, everybody, welcome to Pop Sports Shorts. It's one day after Championship Sunday in the National Football League, and uh, we got Matt Sell here, and we have a slightly despondent Jared Erickson. Slightly the mor- moratorium episode. <laughs> the moratorium slightly episode despondent. for Jared. As, as Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs did their New York Giants impression in the second half of that game. And, you know, found themselves on the wrong end of the biggest comeback in championship game history, right? Was it AFC championship game history or all championship game history? Uh, I, I don't even know. One it was just, it just hurt. It was a shit show. So, how are, you, how are we feeling today, Jared? Um... You know, it's funny, especially because, and we've talked about how, like, I love, I enjoy sports, but at the same time, like football is my thing, like baseball, eh, hockey, I'll go to a game, but football is my thing. And, you know, obviously it's much easier to root for your team when they're winning. Um, But it's like to have everything to go from where they started and how God awful they were in the beginning to the divisional round being the greatest game of football I've ever watched in my entire life to watching Mahomes do a Super Bowl 55 impression of himself. Like that's really what I immediately flashed back to was him having no O-line and running around in circles, just trying to make something happen in the Super Bowl last year. Um, I, I, I'm not happy because I have to go to work tomorrow and face a bunch of people who are going to have all the jokes in the world. And like, I'm one of those people who my response is I, I close in and I, I stay within myself. So when people are like, yo, what the fuck happened? My first response is to lash out and like tear them a new one, but I have to temper myself, but God almighty that can't, can't do that in the office. No, 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 no. But office rules. It hurt. It really, like, I know I have no personal stake in it, in the sense of it doesn't change my day-to-day, but it just, it hurts. Like, no one wants to watch your team get all the way there, and then it's like, nope, just kidding. Right, it's a hard place to lose. In, in sports our, in sports are a place where you get to, in like a safe, non-dangerous way, feel all of the different emotions of life, yep. and it's okay to... It's okay to be upset, I think. I mean, don't be like that Chiefs fan on the video who like pushed his son who was wearing a Joe Burrow jersey. But like right. or like the Cowboys fans who put their feet and and other hard objects through televisions and yeah. fight their own family members. No, I'll never do that. Um understanding that the emotions of a sports loss or a victory are okay and then dealing with them is one thing. It's but yeah, don't don't wreck your TV. Don't, no. you know, I think the furthest I've ever gone is in 2006. I uh, was living in a house when the Mets lost the NLCS to the Cardinals. And when Beltron took that strike three, I screamed into a pillow. But I also heard all of my housemates, who I was kind of on the fritz with, screaming and cheering from downstairs super loudly because I was watching in my room to try to, you know, offset me. So I just had to stay up there and yell into the pillow a bunch, which my worked. Worst, my worst sports meltdown was probably I guess when the Giants went Super Bowl seven to two thousand six playoffs when they lost to the Panthers in the first round and the, they got shut out twenty three nothing and I took the Eli Manning jersey that I own I pulled it off 
and I threw it right in the garbage, and I never took it out, never saw it again. I was absolutely just disgusted that they got beat so bad. And, of course, next year they went and won the Super Bowl, so, you know, I like to think yeah. that it was my revolt that um, secretly inspired them to uh, win that That Eli Super Manning Bowl. jersey <laughs> was cursed. That's what it was. That's, right. that's what it was, yeah, yeah. And exactly that's why I was, was trying to think back to, like, what did I wear yesterday? What did I do yesterday? <laughs> that it all. wasn't the same exactly. So I'm gonna burn my entire wardrobe from yesterday, and uh, it's just in, it's so disappointing. I think in terms of fandom, like if you're gonna go hard when your team wins emotionally, then there's no reason why you can't go hard when your team loses emotionally. Like if you. Are, if you want to feel one end of the spectrum, then you have to feel the other end of the spectrum. Like exactly. You can't just take the good and say, that's just, that just makes you fair weather, in my opinion. And that's also just, I, I have to say, like, I also can't watch sports that way. I get, uh, if I'm watching sports in like a numb fashion where I'm just sort of like there and like responding to it almost non emotionally, it's just boring. I have to be like, it, it, unless it's a good game or there's other factors there, but if it's my team, it like I'm not going to watch the Mets lose six nothing and not be. Right, I don't the know Mets how to are the best it, example. If if I'm going to be upset about sports, it like the only way to enjoy the highs of it is to really you have to be there for the lows and you have to yep. like be in a mental position where you're watching your team and you're experiencing the lows and really like all that comes with them. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain, but I can't watch sports and like only be happy about the happy. Like I could pretend to be, but it's never I'll never celebrate the same way as I would have been if I was wasn't fully invested or as a, if I was fully invested. And so yeah, it sucks. It sucks you have to go to work. That sucks yeah. too. And to blow and to blow an 18 point lead to only score 3 points in the whole second half of the game. Um again with the flashing back to watching my quarterback run circles around like he did in the last Super Bowl, which that was, you know, that immediately triggers back to the emotions that I felt watching that Super Bowl. I thought the offensive line held up yesterday. If we're going to, you know, if we're on the game, yeah, I really thought when you looked at it, it was like, it was bad decision making. The receivers just weren't getting open. Yeah. yeah, I think the Bengals secondary deserves all of the credit for more than anything for that. And anything else. I mean, they were just, the fans has Eli, you know, they made big plays. Eli Apple made the big play at the end of the uh, of the first half on the throw that Mahomes probably shouldn't have made. And, no, it should uh, have been a field goal. No, he knew that his defense was going to give up a touchdown, and he was just forcing the ball. Yeah. He was just forcing it down the field at a certain point. So, um, yeah. you know, but the Bengals second, I mean, a lot of those said the, the, the sacks were coverage sacks. Mahomes was, like, dancing around, but he wasn't being chased by, like, an like an army of Bengals players. It was like a player here, a player there. The Chiefs offensive line held up. I said it was just the receivers could not get open. That play when Mahomes fumbled the ball at the end, I thought the game was over. And then Tooney made an amazing like I didn't I couldn't believe how I couldn't believe how much he was tracking back with Mahomes to try and keep blocking for him on that play to be in position to even recover that fumble because Mahomes was way back there. Like 10, 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. So that play temporarily saved the game. I mean, I thought really what it came down to is we know the chiefs have great receivers. We know they have a great coach. I just think the Bengals secondary really buckled down in the second half and just, they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. And that it was all covered. It was all coverage stuff too. Yeah. It was, they weren't yeah. playing man to man. They were 
sitting back in coverage and whatever they were doing, it changed in the second half and Mahomes just didn't, wasn't able to figure it out. The defense is peaking at the right time. Yeah. And they're they just really making are. huge plays in huge situations. Like they're just, they're just, it's a, it's a big, it's like a big spot defense almost. That's you a know? big win. I mean, that's, it's, it's really, and Jared, like, you should be happy that your team proud, even that your team is in a position where like, that is a huge win for a franchise. Like that's legitimately like the jets going into Foxborough and beating the Patriots in 2010. Like we're still dining out on that one. Uh, Mark Sanchez yeah. gets to dine out on that one for the rest of his life. Like <laughs> it's, that's a huge win for the Bengals. And they really did. Like I thought, the chiefs were themselves. And I think the Bengals made some sort of adjustment in their secondary in the second half that flipped around the game and allowed, I mean, the Bengals, the chiefs kept going at three and out and it just kept allowed, allowed the Bengals to creep back into it. Yeah. The other thing, and, and Romo pointed this out, and I think it was either late into third or early into fourth. Uh, they started figuring out how to get the ball to Jamar chase. You know, he was yes. quiet in the first half and the second half, they figured out something into coverage where they started getting chased to ball more. And then, you know, the fact that he showed up and was you know, had a huge second half is a huge reason why the Bengals are playing for the Super Bowl right now and not the Chiefs. Because I think he only had eight yards of offense in the first half. And the other, I mean, if we're going to give credit to anything, I guess in you know halftime, Eli Apple went back to his locker and busted out Twitter and saw how bad he was getting roasted because he was getting lit up. I think what happened was in him the game and, and on Twitter. I think what happened was him and Odell finally went and burned the boat picture. <laughs> I can't believe the boat pictures in the Super Bowl. It's great. <laughs> it's mighty. It's unbelievable. Just, you know, it's the demons have been exercised. Except for not the not only are they in the Super Bowl, <laughs> they both had huge roles in their conference title yeah. games to get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's craziness, and you know what? Give give Joe Burrow credit because without and I I I think that. Uh, I think Aaron Donald's going to feast on that offensive line in the Super Bowl. Yeah. We can get to that, but without a very good offensive line and just pretty much with his brain and some really great weapons, they have some great weapons. He's been able to get that offense going this year. And I mean, they were, uh, they were projected for six and a half wins preseason. Um, I don't even think, I don't even, I'd have to go back and listen to our previous show, but I don't think any of us had them on the radar. I think no. we all just thought Burrow was going to take another step forward. I, think I feel that was like something we all felt, but I feel like one of you guys, and I think it was Jared, said that the Bengals might be better than we think they're going to be, and that's like the most pre- because I know I didn't, think, I I wasn't expecting yeah. more than six wins out of them. I remember Jared and I both being very high on Joe Burrow, and that's about it. And right, yeah, I, I thought that you were like they got I, the quarterback. Is the rest of the team there yet? But I remember saying that I was worried about his health more than anything because that offensive line isn't good enough. But man, I was one of the people saying they should draft uh, Penny Sewell. I was fucking wrong. They made the right decision drafting Jamar Chase. That's for sure. Yeah. Especially just because Burrow has just been proven to be an absolute stud and he can make up for the fact that there are some inefficiencies at the offensive line, just in the way he plays football. It's true. And according to new Englanders, Jamar Chase might actually be second behind Mac Jones for offensive rookie of the year voting. Like he's just elevated himself that much. <laughs> I actually had this argument with somebody yesterday who was like, no, it's definitely going to be Mac Jones. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Jamar Chase just had one of the best seasons ever from a wide receiver. And you're out here talking about Mac Jones who had an average season at quarterback. Sorry. It's not about the Patriots anymore. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy, though, you talk about, like, those those players. Just a little quick aside, because, you know, everybody keeps talking about Brady or Rodgers winning the MVP this year, and I think Cooper Cup should be the freaking MVP of the league this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah I, I think I it's agree. absurd 100%. that we're thinking about anybody else, you know? If you're going to pick a quarterback, maybe Stafford, but... Cause, no, if you're going to pick Stafford, you have to pick Cup because Cup's their yeah, exactly. Stafford yeah. is so good. <laughs> it's like just I, statistically the quarterbacks usually are the ones who end up with the MVP because of their role in Cup the had offense. Like an all, it's only, he's the second greatest season in the history of a wide receiver. You know? yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's you look at it this way. It's The reason it keeps being a quarterback is because it's the most important position in the sport. Exactly. I so it gets that. more weight behind it. Having said that, like – I. So I am not like a, I, it's almost, you think of it like the draft, like in the draft, there's these people out there who say, just take the best player available, no matter what the position is, even if that position is safety, interior defensive lineman. I mean, the jets were run by Mike, Mike McCagnan, who was the best player available guy and always took the best player available. And it now, didn't work out because on the we flip got side before you continue, but Jerry Reese did that with the giants and won two super bowls, different era. Right. I'm, I'm just saying it's, yeah. it's something that's worked in the past. So the re- the argument is financial. It's because you know the highest paid safety makes sixteen million. So if you draft a safety top five, you're paying that safety what eight million. So you're already paying them almost fifty percent of what the highest paid person is. So the point is, you draft these premium positions where somebody who's elite would make twenty five million a year. And but anyway, it's almost like that. Where I lost the thread of my thought. But basically, best player available versus, you know, premium positions. It's kind of like that with quarterback. Like, you can't just look at all the positions and say, this person is the best player in the NFL because they're the best at their position. Their positional does have to go into it somewhat when you're talking about MVP. Otherwise, you know, for well, it should always be Aaron Donald for defense. So bad example. But the point is, you do have to take positional weight into it. But you also want, there's a middle ground. Right, yeah. Was there a quarterback season good enough this year that no. was better than Cooper Cup's you know, season as a wide receiver? I don't think there was. And nothing, the answer to that nothing is stood no. out to me this year. Yeah, the no. answer to that. The answer to that is no, and I agree with you. Yeah. There. But anyway, um, that was a quick little aside. Um, let's move on to the NFC title game, and this another was, burner. Know, great game. <laughs> yeah, great game. Um, six. The last six grades have been great, which means the Super Bowl is going to be. You know, absolute 48 to 10 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. We'll get to that in a few minutes because I have my early thoughts about the Super Bowl, you know, two weeks out. But anyway, the game, um, the Rams finally vanquished the Niners. Uh, they finally vanquished Jimmy G. And because um, that's you know, such a McVay, McVay got out from under the shadow of Shanahan. That's it right. only took a sub elite quarterback to do it. But and Matt and I were uh, are proven correct on our NFC um, championship picks. Yeah, we were. We were. We yeah. were a collapse. I was a collapse away from being right across the board. Yeah, I was. I, I had the Bills going in the AFC, so I was a collapse away from being right across the board. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, great so game. Honest, I really. If it was, if it was Bills Bengals, I, I don't know that that collapse would happen. Sorry, NFC. NFC. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest. I I uh, after my game, I didn't. Watch. I had a feeling you didn't football. watch the NFC title game. I, 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 I know if I, I was in your shoes, I probably wouldn't have watched it. I, I would was have been so disgusted with yeah. football. I, I had a done. feeling. I'll be honest. I had a feeling there was no way that, as good as the defense was for the Niners, I did not think that Jimmy G was going to be able to magically do something to offset 
whatever Matt Stafford could do. So they almost pulled it off, though. They almost did it. I mean, in the end, it came down to do you want Jimmy G as your two minute quarterback? In 2014, Bill Belichick said yes. But luckily, Robert, for Patriots fans, Robert Kraft overruled him. We'll get to that, too, because I want to talk about that. Jimmy G, um, last throw as a 49er was just like a dinky little underhand to the running back that wanna bounced be off his hand. Want to be Mahomes play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what this came down to was Stafford and McVay. Uh, I mean, the 49ers defense, Dan and I were talking, made them earn it. Every single yard, it felt like, was just hard-earned for the Rams. And they were able to drive down the field when it mattered most. And having a really great quarterback in Matt Stafford, not – you know, we always say he's not, like, the top-tier elite guy in the game, but he's in the, he's at the top of that second tier with Derek Carr. Him and Derek Carr are the poster children for that second tier. Um, so having Stafford there made the difference for McVay because I don't think they were – I think Shanahan had their offense snuffed out. He was ready for it. Um, well, the defense, but, and I thought the 49ers had a really great game plan relying on Debo Samuel as they usually do, but also just the kind of throws they were asking Jimmy G to make are throws he's good at. Uh, the run game made some decent plays and, but McVeigh's just not been able to vanquish Shanahan ever since, you know, they got their respective head coaching jobs. So it was time for him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Definitely. Um, time for him to get the win. I think at the end of the day, despite the 49ers having a good game plan coming, I just think the big difference was, especially on offense in this game, was the Rams just talent, you know. You know despite yeah. losing a, a handful of position, losing uh, Jefferson, losing Higby, uh, losing Akers for a little bit, you know, you know, Cup did what Cup <laughs> normally does, and Odell Beckham just continues to step up, you know, as the number two there, you know in in los angeles and he's a big he made a, he had a lot of big third down conversions when they needed him in the second half of that game and you know just really kind of gritted out a, a win where they weren't you know great you know stafford wasn't terrible like his interception was a f- kind of fluky interception you know on a weird bounce you know it wasn't like he was you know having a bad stafford game you know it's just you know, they just were able to outlast san fran it's listen it's hard to beat a team three times in one season you know, it is. It's a really, and especially really a team do, with man. Aaron Donald involved. Right, Miller. and by the end of that game, that's the other thing. You know, the Rams' defense was really starting to figure it out at the end of the game when they were getting pressure on Jimmy G. And you know, look at that game ended. Aaron Donald, the best player on the field at that moment, rushing Jimmy G into a wannabe Mahomes throw and sealing that game. You know, yeah. so the best players on the field were possessed by the were possessed by the Rams, and that was the difference in the game. My favorite moment of the game, though, was more comical. It was when, and it wasn't comical at the moment because I was really worried Debo was actually hurt, but luckily he bounced back. But it was, uh, they were talking in the broadcast about how, you know, Debo stood up for uh, Jimmy G and put out a tweet that was like, y'all don't understand criticizing Jimmy G. He's our quarterback. And then moments later, Jimmy G throws that like little floater over the middle and Debo takes a big hit (laughs) on it. And it's like, wow. They're broadcasting about how you're standing up for your quarterback, and now your quarterback almost got you killed. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that, I think those. I think that was Jimmy G's uh, last pass for Sam. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's fine, but that's amazing. I mean Shanahan's a great coach, as far as I'm concerned. He's took an offense that, you know, his offense has been not to not totally figured out, but to a certain extent figured out, and he's adjusted, and he was able to get them within a few minutes of the Super Bowl. But ultimately, he just 
didn't have what McVeigh had, which is a top quarterback, right? Somebody who can make the difference in the game. And both of those guys, McVeigh and Shanahan, have been the poster children for maximizing bad quarterback play between Jared Goff and Jimmy G. Right. And the difference now is just McVeigh got a good quarterback. Yeah, it um, opens up his offense so much more. I think the league is put on notice now about the 49ers, though, because Trey Lance season starts next year. And if he turns out to be any good, it's going to be it's going to be lights out. That's going to be a really yeah, good Yeah, that's team. like the weird thing with San Fran. is like the next year they have Lance come in and, you know, maybe because it's his first season, they don't they might just stay either flat where they are or even take a slight step back because it's his first season. But or, it wouldn't be a bad thing if they did that. Or yeah, he could maybe he comes out and he's or he great. has the Mahomes year. Yeah, you know, Mahomes, Mahomes sits year, for a year and then throws yeah, fifty right. touchdowns. Right. <laughs> it's but yeah. The only know, worry I mean, with Lance, the only worry historic. with Lance is he's never he didn't play big college football. That's the only you know you worry about worry where his big game experience is. But I mean, you see every, everything else is there. At least Josh Patrick Allen plays D one though. And Mahomes yeah. played for Texas Tech. That's a Big Twelve program. Oh yeah, that's true. But, yeah. not, but you know, I always think of the ACC or SEC type of quarterbacks. You know, they never seem to work out. But. Right, that's true. They seem, even the one that's coming out this year from, like, Miss Ole Miss, he's like a Mac Jones type, you know. He's yeah. not like a, anything that seems to be super talented, you know. So the best thing that happened in New England since Tom Brady? Yes. Well, so okay. really quickly, too, and I was yeah, just give your side. You have something you want to say. I was say giving so this, much shit tell. in yeah, the Patriots fan group. So every time Jimmy G does something, I just love to remind Patriots fans that in 2014, Bill Belichick, and this is very well covered at this point, was dead set on replacing Brady with Jimmy G. And Robert Kraft stepped in and stopped it from happening. But, you know, we could have had Jimmy G throwing to Nikhil Harry. Instead of Debo Samuel, you know, but the point is everybody talks about Belichick like he's some sort of genius. And these his career is littered with these decisions when it comes to offense, not so much defense, because he is an absolutely brilliant defensive coordinator. But he's a brilliant defensive coordinator who won the lottery by drafting the greatest quarterback of all time in the sixth round. That's really what we're looking at here. But yes, drafted to kill Harry when Debo Samuel was available was adamantly wanting to move on from Brady since 2014 and finally got his wish. And it's just, yeah, I'm here to puncture the image of that man as much as possible. Speaking of that man and his team, um, McDaniels is leaving for the Raiders now. Um, Good hire for the Raiders too. I think it's a good hire for the Raiders. Jared, what do you think about that? That's your ballpark, the Raiders. So I I think it's a good hire, but at the same time, this is not Josh McDaniel's first foray into the AFC West. Um, if you recall, he and mm-hmm. oh Todd, holy Todd crap, Haley. Todd, Todd Haley, Haley. Yeah. thank you. I really try very hard to block him out of my Chiefs memories. <laughs> um, he and Todd Haley uh, were very well known for having spats, and it was never really established whose fault it was per se, but um, I, I think there's a lot of good pieces there. Um, I feel like their offense was not really the struggle point, but I mean, maybe, maybe he'll come in and maybe he'll flip-flop the Raiders with the Chargers and, and do something good there. So Derek Carr was one of the best quarterbacks in the league off play action. And I believe the Raiders were one of the least, like they ran play action 
at, they were at the bottom of the league in terms of play action. They have a good running back, somebody who can pick up yards, but even with play action, you don't technically need, you know, a top tier running game to run play action. You just need to be able to execute on the plays. So my understanding was uh, when I was reading about it, McDaniel sold them on a very play action heavy two tight end, two tight end package. So I think they're going to be an interesting offense to watch next year, but you're absolutely right. Their offense was still not the problem. It was their defense. So it remains to be seen how that's going to get resolved. Which um, I feel like bringing in a coach that was an offensive coordinator, like generally speaking, don't they try to shoot for somebody for their new head coach? Don't teams generally shoot for someone who is more of a coordinator for their weak point? Maybe I'm completely off base here. You're right that they do, but I've always felt that that was more of a reactionary move than a smart one. Because in the end, who are who are the good teams that – so every now and then there's a team like the Ravens or, you know, some defense heavy team that makes their way into the Super Bowl and maybe wins it like, you know, the 2002 Giants or whatever they were. Not to what year was that? Whatever year that oh, was. When they, they lost, when they lost to the Ravens, the year they lost yeah. to the Ravens. That was but 2000. All, yeah. That was, or that Ravens. I was thinking of the Ravens team too. Yeah. But that, that Ravens team that, you know, that won it all based on their defense. And even Dover, the year the with uh, Joe Flacco. They were still, I mean, that was the defense played great that allowing Flacco to have that run. The point is, there's not, it's more reliable in the NFL to get there based on your offense. So look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are there. They have a terrible fucking defense. Jared walked away for a second, so I can hear it say that. He'll hear it when he listens back to the podcast. <laughs> they have a terrible fucking defense. But in the end, they have Patrick Mahomes. And they have this great offense, this good offensive line now, and they were able to get almost to the Super Bowl. It just comes back to that all the time. The modern NFL, the defense is overrated. It's not as important, and it's also not as reliable a way to build your team as the offense. Think about it now, but when the Chiefs have been done in, they've been done in by defenses that are better. Like, it's always been a good defense that does do them in. I think it's it's easier to build, like, an offense like you're saying. I think it's easier to sustain offense, especially through the draft. Um, and like building off and like having that core there. Cause you're right. You still have to score fucking points to win the game at the end yeah. of the day, you know, and there's teams like Patrick Mahomes where no matter how good, even you have the best defense in the league, you're still giving up at least probably three touchdowns in the game, some way, shape or form. 20. It used to be, I think the rule used to be like 17 points and now it's like 21 points. Like if you score 21 points or more and hold your off and hold the other team below 21 points, you're going to win a lot of games. Right. Um, on averages, but it used to be, yeah. I mean, offense is obviously way up. No, what I'm saying is it's also just, it seems I'm not an NFL executive. It seems that it's easier to fix the defense than it is to fix a bad offense. Yeah. Right. So focusing your resources on the offense and then looking for good coordinators or, you know, looking to get, I don't know, but even like, look at like someone like, like a team, like I'll go to the giants. Like when they signed Blake Martinez two years ago, that was a, they needed a quick fix at inside linebacker. He's not one of the best in the game, but he got the job done at the at, yeah. a, at a decent price. You can do that a lot easier with that free agency plug and play on defense than you can on offense. It's hard to do what the Chiefs are trying to do on their offensive line right now. It's way easier to do that on your defensive line. Think about it this way too: a defense, just the nature of it, has to be right. You know a couple of times a drive, whereas for an offense to execute, and you played football, you probably know this, for an offense to go right, 
it's almost like everything has to go well on the play. Like everybody has to execute their job. Whereas, you know, on the defense, two or three guys could fuck up. But if one guy makes a great play, it makes all the difference. Exactly. And it blows the play up. So it's kind of, it's also the nature of the roles in the game are just different. And it does seem that when you go through advanced statistics, great defenses are more often the result of luck because they never seem to, it's very rare for a defense that operates at like a high level to stay at that level for multiple years. Yeah. Because there's a little more of a luck factor involved. That would the case. The bears would have won like four super bowls in the eighties. Exactly. Or the jets would have, you know, kept going to AFC championship games, but and losing probably still, but, um, yeah, no, it just comes down to it is more sustainable when you look at it to win based on offense. So worrying a little less about the defense in the as your like number one focus can still get you there because defensive results are a little more luck based from a statistics standpoint than offense. I get results. what you're saying. Yeah. It's and insane. you watch your mouth about the Chiefs defense. All right. Oh, you heard that? Yeah, because headphones. The, <laughs> the, I was hoping to Bluetooth. play a little Easter egg in there for you. Oh God, I was sitting there the whole time. I'm like, God, I wish I had an unmute button. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, this the second half, or I would almost even argue the second and third thirds of the season, their defense was so much better than in the beginning. Because in the beginning of the season, their defense was horrific. Um, but yes, but their, their defense, defense got exposed by better offenses also as a season. Like that's the second time Joe that. Burrow yeah. exposed their defense. You know, Josh Allen exposed their defense twice this season also. So yeah. it was just a matter of, you know, you know, a good offense coming along and getting the job done against the Chiefs. Just like truly awful defense. No, I'm just kidding. He's on mute again and he's talking to his child, so he can't respond. It's very it's very cruel what I'm oh, doing right I, now. Oh, I can, but I have to just use the correct verbiage. And also, I'll be curious next year, you know, now you're going to have the possibility of Aaron Rodgers coming to Denver. So yeah. now all four teams are going to have I upper, don't know. Upper, upper tier quarterbacks in that division. That's their so move, man, is build a good team and then bring in, you know, some all-time great in their late 30s. Yeah. The Denver way. They didn't but, win until Elway was, you know, thirty-eight. Yeah, or, they lost or a lot. They lost. They did make it to the Super Bowl a lot when Elway was in. You got to give yeah, them. They, they, did, they, they did lose like four. They got Super blown Bowls out a lot in the, in the Super Bowl, but they got the shit kicked out of like the NFC East and the 49ers each time. <laughs> God, and now the AFC is just so stacked with quarterbacks. I mean, you remember there was a day where an AFC team. I always hated being an AFC team, AFC fan, because it always felt like even if you got to the Super Bowl, you were going to get blown out. And oh yeah, when we like, were kids, my goodness! I mean, it was yeah. the NFC East and the 49ers. Yeah, you know, they were, and they, and and it wasn't even like the best is like, you know, the Skins or I'm sorry, Washington won three won three Super Bowls during that time. The Giants won two, Dallas won three, and the Niners won five. When we go from the 80s, right? And you yeah. think about that, even the Eagles, like the Eagles were like the second best team in the NFC for like so many times in the late eighties when they had, you know, buddy Ryan running the defense. It was great. Yep. You're absolutely, it's crazy. when we grew up how much better, you know, the NFC was, you talk about John Elway going to those Super Bowls. I mean, name me another player on that Broncos offense. The running back. Who was the running back? He was a big name. The one was who he helped now? them. I think so. I think they had. Did they have? I think they had a maybe a hall, maybe a hall of fame like offensive lineman like Gary Zimmerman or something. And I think that's it. That's all I could think of. I couldn't tell you a wide receiver I, I, on that team. The tight end, Willie Green, 
Willie Green. I want to say the running back in one of the years had 2,000 yards. I want to say that was a thing. You're thinking of but Terrell Davis in the later years. Yeah, yeah. I'm that's talking what I'm about no, the, that's the what I'm, eight, I'm talking about the 80s run with the Broncos. Oh, the early oh, the 90s team. Okay. Dude, they had Rod Smith. They had Terrell I was going to say, they had a, Terrell Davis in the Hall of Fame, dude. He was too. awesome. Yeah, they so, had a stack so that, defense, that man. 98, that 98 AFC Championship game hurts the most because it's questionable. We probably weren't going to beat the Saints in 2009. They did well against the Packers in the regular season in 2010, the Jets I'm talking about. But the Jets absolutely, if they had held on and beat Denver in that 98 AFC Championship game, would have beaten the Falcons in the Super Bowl. I will make a point. I think that's the best Jets team of my lifetime. That, that 98 one? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We're – hold on. You're <laughs> not thinking of two very – very talented players that were on the 98 roster with John Elway. You had Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp was the tight end, right? Shannon Sharp, yeah. That was before he came to Baltimore. Right. But, oh, no, I just lost him. You had Terrell Davis was a running back. Right. Yeah. And he had 2,000 yards, I think. He did, yeah. He did. He had the first Super Bowl Um, year, I think he ran for 2,000. But you guys are forgetting about the biggest name of all, Brian Greasy. Brian Greasy to back up on that team? Yeah, I don't know. I was just being a smart ass. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah no, I thought he was still Rod, in college, dude. <laughs> Rod Smith. Was it yeah. um was it what's his name that used to play for the Chiefs, the DN that went to Denver? Wasn't he on those teams? Um uh Neil Allen. Wasn't he on those Denver yes. teams? Yep, he was yeah. on there, yep. Yeah, okay. He was yeah. a good football player. That, that defense a lot of, is good. A lot of still names hurts. that I've never. Ninety-eight still. That's hurts. why I specifically pulled ninety-eight. Was that, was that was that Keyshawn's like third season? Second was it? Season? Yeah, something like it, that. Was like a good that. team. That was a good Jets team. I mean, they yo, Vinny was a great quarterback. It was, with the Jets, it was like man. a series, and it was. It felt like in that game. I don't even want to get into it. It felt like just a series of unfortunate events and bounces led to the Jets losing that. Like it, the, the Jets almost had to lead the half, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to say. I think I've blocked this out of memory, but didn't like the wind knock down the second half kickoff or something and Denver recovered it. Like the jets were oh, receiving and it's something crazy. But anyway, uh, we should probably talk about Tom Brady and then some of the coaching changes. If we're going to have me- bad memories. Yeah. If we're going to talk about bad memories, yeah. about the memories for the jets. focus so on the next complete, yeah. completely overshadowing big Ben retiring is Tom Brady announcing his retirement. Like four days later, he didn't announce it though. Schefter broke the news, but then Brady said he's not retiring. So Brady's going to come. Brady's pissed. He was going to retire, but Schefter beat him to it. So now he's going to come back and win an eighth Super Bowl just to spite us all. <laughs> no, he's not. He's absolutely not. I know I, his his dad went out there and was like, he never said that. He's not doing it. It's like, come on. No, he's probably going to retire. But yeah, no. here's what's crazy about Brady. He was one of the top passers in the league. Like he's, It's not like Peyton or Eli or all those guys. When they retired, they were awful at that point in their careers. But – Brady's retiring at the top. I mean, he didn't win the Super Bowl this year, but like that's more a result of they just lost all of their offensive weapons and, you know, so they were decimated by injuries. But it's incredible how good he still is and he's retiring. Um, I wonder how much of his happiness is tied up in football and how long he'll stay retired. I've I've thought that too. If he can, if he can actually stay retired and, He'll have because you know you know he's got. I feel like he's gonna. He seems like the type of guy that's gonna stay in shape throughout his entire 
Like well, he's yeah, not he, gonna, that's he's not getting fat. That's TB12 his business, thing. right? Yeah, but I, I think he's say, also he's really his... interested in TB12, and I think he's really gonna like, like if he doesn't have football, that's what he's gonna go next level competitive at and make that like the best sports brand in the world for whatever they. So do. He's gonna go full science, full Scientology. Probably, yeah. Make it a he's... flat, a flat out cult. He just really, really didn't want to visit the Biden White House. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> so here's my, my thoughts, you know, uh, all-time passing leader, so many records, touchdowns. It's a record Bowls. every time he steps out there. Yeah, Super Bowl, Super Bowl touchdowns, Super Bowl wins. But I think what he's going to most be remembered for is his 0-2 record against the New York football giants. In the Super Bowl. Oh, I was going to say waiting until his very last yeah. season of his career – to finally get flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct, or if you really, if if, if I want to bring Matt in, having an zero and three record all time against New York area football teams in the playoffs. No, they uh, they beat us in two thousand six in the. Oh, first they round. did. Is there one? Yeah. When did they feature two thousand six? Uh, that you was made the, the playoffs that... in two thousand six. Yeah, we made the playoffs in two thousand six. <laughs> that was the first year of uh, Mangini. Was that, was that the Pennington year? Yeah. Okay. That was uh. That was I the. You guys lost to the Dolphins that year. No, that the year the next year. Uh, or two years later, that was the crazy Dolphins had Pennington and won the division with the Wildcat. But no, that year that was, was they lost. Yeah, that was the year they lost to the Patriots in Foxborough in the first round. And it was just it was one of those games where they beat them in Foxborough in the regular season. The field was all muddy, and then Brady, Kraft, and Belichick were like, "Tear that entire field up, and we're putting in a we're putting in turf." And um, but that's all. Those are good memories. But yeah, Jets made the playoffs, had a nice run at the end of the season, and then uh, lost the Patriots in the first round. So one in three. Okay. You, I was going to say you could go the route of some of these like NFL network and stuff with these seven layer deep stats. Brady is 0-3 when playing in the playoffs against a New York team in the last 14 years, starting with 2008. That's a good idea. Yeah. I like that. Since 2008, <laughs> Since 2008. he is <laughs> lost. <Yeah. laughs> Since that injury that he lost a year on. Yeah. I mean, he's nuts. You give him credit. I mean, that's the other thing. Belichick won the lottery. Like there's no, and I think Kraft and will even say it that like they had no idea how good he was going to be. Nobody did. He wouldn't have been in the sixth round. Right. I think Kraft always says if we'd known how good he would be, we would have taken him in the first round. Like it's just right. Exactly. It's you won the lottery with a pick and you get anointed a genius as a result of it because you're a good defensive coordinator he really he really thought he was going to have a happy ending with tom brady in his career craft no he's that's not the happy ending he wants uh, i know the joke was there i'm sorry i should have just let you sit with it the um another thing that um you know brady doesn't get enough um you know shit for is he inexplicably allowed the eagles to win a super bowl Seriously. Yeah. That was great for me. I, I, I'm sorry. I know you guys don't like the Eagles, but that was, I, I don't live near any Eagles fans. Uh, it was, that was, it was that great. was it unbelievable was nice for me. My stepdad was still alive for it and he's a big Eagles fan and he died like a year and a half afterwards. So I am, yeah. I am happy that he did get to see that. Like, and I actually went and watched a game with him. I was like, look at that. It's because all these years he was watching me celebrate the Giants win the Super Bowl. And I, I knew he hated it. He hated the fucking Giants. And um, much in the same way, I hate the Eagles, but um, it was, it was good. Like, you know, like in the father son sort of way to get to see that, you know, I so, fucking, yeah, I no silver lining. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, that game was epic for me because of the way it ended with the strip sack and everything. Um, I fucking hate, it tells me how bad the jets are 
when my in-laws are like cheering for the Jets to be nice. Cause I'm like, wow, we really are just such a non-factor to you that you can be like, yeah, oh, it's too bad the Jets couldn't win one today. Ugh. I want them to hate us because I hate that. I hate their team so much. I don't, I love them. <laughs> it bothers me. It bothers me when everybody just like condescendingly cheers for the Jets because we're just such a non-fucking factor for them up here. So at least he hated your team. Uh, Jared, any uh, farewell thoughts for Tom Brady? Just remember what team jacked up your knee that year. Always remember what team. <laughs> Always. Because I remember. Because I remember sitting at the bar watching the game. And I remember seeing him go down. And the announcers are like, <gasps> like you could hear the the audible and inaudible gasp of, oh, my God. The day the Tom entire New England down. had a heart attack. So, <laughs> yeah, Dan, remember, um, did you ever go, I think it was called the Sports Depot. It was in Alston, all the way at the end of Harvard Ave or Harvard Street. And it was like this old train. I was there watching, um, that was the first, that was Favre's first game with the Jets and the Jets won and there were a ton of Jets fans there. But when Brady got hurt, you could hear a pin drop in that bar. Like it was just quiet. Nobody, other teams of other, other fans of other teams didn't know what to think because the New England fans were just miserable. Just, yeah. They had just lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. Nobody was really sure what to do. And we're all like, this is awesome, right? Like we're happy, right? Talking yeah, to each other. You want to like go like, <laughs> but you can't because all these they're just having beers thrown at you. And, you know, they're just getting shanked by these crazy Boston sports fans. <laughs> it does feel like now, now you won't get killed as much for like, if there, there was a time being in Boston where I felt nervous wearing any opposing fan gear. Like I was going to get the shit. Kicked they started out. winning it's, and it's they not weren't like as angry anymore. anymore. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I, I respect his longevity and all of that, but I don't know, his arrogance, his, the way that the refs would just bend over for him. I will not be sad to see that go. Don't worry. You have plenty of years watching Patrick Mahomes get all those calls. So don't worry about it. Oh, there was, there was a guy in the, uh, the sports Facebook group I'm in who is just every other play like they, they, what they'll do, especially going into the playoffs and all that is they'll do a, a post that is like live commenting for a live stream with the game. And every two seconds, no call there, no call there, no call there. Finally, I got tired. I was like, I was like, what, like, what is your deal? Just let them play football. Oh, of course you would say that. Like, even if it wasn't the chiefs, just let them fucking play. Like, so tired of every two seconds flags all over like it just ruins the flow of the game so i don't know um, if it's because the football teams are better so they're more disciplined but there definitely was like less penalties this week and it made the games that much more enjoyable you know it seemed like there weren't any like you know soft calls on quarterbacks or soft calls on like questionable late hits or things like that seemed like they they did let them just go play out there and it didn't seem dangerous like the closest thing to anybody getting hurt was like Debo Samuel and there was nothing dirty about the hit it's like I think Troy Aikman said it like that's how they teach you to, when they send out the the protocols like in the league in the beginning of the year that's how they want you to tackle now 
So you can't get mad at him when he tackles like that, you know? I mean, he's not yeah. going to come in there and hit him softly, you know? Yep. It's just helpful. Sometimes, like, you know, it's, I obviously you don't want people, you don't want the concussion issues, you don't want to have that happen to anything. And I think there's, the NFL, at least on the field, is taking the steps necessary to start trying to do that. But you also have to understand that sometimes people are just going to get hit in the head on accident. I think sometimes some of the penalties we get for that are just a little, little much. You know, right. even like like I, one of my least favorite penalties in the whole game is the the hands the the hand smack to the top of the accidental when a quarter when someone's hand hits the quarterback's helmet accidentally and it's like on the top yep. of the head. I'm like, that's not a penalty. Like you got you got to stop calling that a penalty. Come on now, yeah, that's just it's incidental contact. It's you're, you're playing the game. You know, just so, you didn't see any of that this weekend. If you're worried about that being a penalty, just watch more Jets games. It never gets called when it happens to Zach Wilson. <laughs> um so matt we should talk about your happiness we don't oh go ahead what were you gonna matt, say you're, you're you're away next week right you said yeah so i'm away for work next week so no bonus for me so we're gonna have to talk about super bowl predictions now then if we're gonna do it with you here yeah. um i'm i'm actually i don't think my prediction is going to change so um i'll let you guys go first um matt what do you think is gonna win the big game uh Bengals 17, Rams 14. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game because both teams have solid defenses. And I mean, I just, I just think it's going to be a low scoring Super Bowl. Going 21-17 Rams. I'm having a, I'm at, it's a tough game to pick because I think both teams are coming in just playing really good football. Little football, especially the Bengals, they got this team of destiny thing going for them. But I do think Aaron Donald going up against that Bengals offensive line is going to be the difference. And I do agree, it's going to be a lower scoring game. Um, I like the Rams to win twenty twenty four to seventeen. All right. All right. Well, on that note, that wraps up the football talk for this week. We're going to let uh, Jared go. I think he's got some dadding to do also, judging from uh, some messages going on. Uh, Jared. got to go cry in the corner. To next dad season. Dad to the bone. Yep. Go dad to the I bone as we get, you get ready for next year. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks after the, uh, after the Super Bowl, Bowl to recap the game. After the after big the- game. Can we, because yeah. I think. Oh yeah, we're not allowed to say Super Bowl or something like. Eh, I don't think they'll. The I don't game. think they'll notice us. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not <laughs> on their radar. Um, but we do have to talk some soccer this week. Good to see you, Jared. Um, it's because the transfer window closes in about a half hour, hour time. It's four thirty on Monday, the thirty first here, and Tottenham, I think, have have made some interesting moves. I'm still learning somebody about some of these players because I don't watch the Italian league ever, and both of these players came from Juve, so they were, you know, they were on the radar of, um, of our director of personnel, uh, Fabio Paratici, Tici, Tici, Tiki. I don't know how you say. I don't know. I don't know. But um, <laughs> so it's Spurs were very, 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 very busy. I'm trying to pull up all the info here. Yeah, they had a good. Uh... They finished the transfer window well. I actually, yeah. if you want me to recap West Ham's first, I don't need to pull anything up online <laughs> to recap West Ham's transfer window. Nothing uh, happened. <laughs> uh, nothing happened. Uh, 
we're wasting a really good opportunity to push on by not signing anybody and not trying to strengthen the squad depth. They tried for Jesse Lingard. Apparently at the last minute, Ralph Ragnick said Lingard could leave on loan. So West Ham made a new offer. Newcastle made a new offer. But then Man United's board said they don't want to sell him at all or sell him to a top four rival. That's something we're going to remember when it comes time to sell Declan Rice uh, because fuck them for that move. Um, And you know what? I'd rather see Rice at City than Man United at this point. Uh, He doesn't want a lateral move anyway. He doesn't. Why would he want to go to the club that spent as much as City to be as good as West Ham and not just go to City? Uh, So... Man United are kind of a mess anyway. Their board are a mess. The marketing team runs that club. I don't think anything's going to really change. They're not going to get better. But we're talking about West Ham doing nothing. Um, they made a bunch of offers. I'm not happy about this. They made an offer for Rafinha. They made an offer for Calvin Phillips that were like destined to not be accepted, basically. Uh, it sounds like West Ham put out a bunch of like, we made a club record offer for this. So we made a $50 million offer for this 70 million pound player. Um, Oh, it got rejected, but at least we tried. So yeah, West Ham, it's really a shame. I don't know who's to blame. I don't know if it's the board. I don't know if it's Moyes, but it's a really big opportunity right now. They're in the final 16 of Europa, which if they win that competition, you qualify for Champions League. They're still in shouting distance of top four. Like the Premier League's crazy. You could win three games in a row and that's nine points. And then suddenly you're back in it. It, it's Instead, just they're just holding serve. And it just feels like at this rate, we're going to lose Bowen and Rice in the summer. Yes, that's a lot of money in, but uh, are they going to actually spend it? Who knows? It just it's definitely frustrating as a West Ham fan because this feels like a really important opportunity in the club's history to keep pushing and to really, you know, be you know, take some risks, move right. up on the table. And they're just not going to do it. And we have a good squad. I don't want to say it's like the sky's not falling. Got a very good squad, but it's just very frustrating that this opportunity was here and they're just choosing not to take it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's gotta be frustrating to watch that. And, you know, I've been in your, in your shoes before, you know, watching my team not do anything throughout a deadline period and not sell anyone, not bring anything in. Just kind of seems like really we're holding serve with this. Like, and you know, you're not good enough to get to that next level you need. So I get the frustration, man. Um, you know, it's been a frustrating couple months for West Ham in general, I feel, just with the injuries and, you know, the drop in form because of the injuries and just to see nothing get done. I'm like, what do you, what do, you do now? Like, how are you supposed to be excited for this next half of the season? I'm still excited. I'm excited for Europa. I mean, I'm going to a game in a month, too. Right. Um, but it's just, it's definitely, it's still a really good squad. There's just no depth. There's no game changer off the bench. And that's a problem. That's... And also they need a left-footed center back and obviously a striker because, you know, Antonio is the only striker. I just still think a left-footed center back was actually the more important position to focus on. Anyway, that's enough. I've already put more into West Ham's talking about West Ham's transfer window than they've put into their transfer window. So let's talk about Spurs. Yeah, man. So the big, the big, there's the two big signings come from Juve. Uh, Dijon Kulusevski is a Swedish international um, former Serie A young player of the year. So someone with a lot of, uh, who's been, you've, you've heard from what I read, he has had a lot of, um, hype. There's a lot of anticipation to the talent that he could, he could be. 
He seems like he was uh, kind of buried. He wasn't in Allegri's plans in Juve. So that's what brought him over to Tottenham. Because Conte essentially demanded transfers. And he demanded players that he wanted in. And this is someone that he's always um, admired. He wanted this kid when he was um, when he was coaching at Inter also. And uh, I'm pretty excited. Him and the other, and our other signing, Rodrigo Betancourt, who is a Uruguayan international and plays with the national team for Uruguay also. Um, they're supposed, they're going to tighten up this midfield, hopefully, because, you know, the biggest problem with, that we have with Spurs recently is, you know, when our, when our back four gets the ball, it's getting the ball up to Harry and Son that's been the issue. We haven't really replaced Christian Eriksen since Christian Eriksen left, and both of these signings um, are pointing towards, um, you know, these guys being able to do that. And then the people leaving, the people who've kind of failed at that, that's the bigger story. Well, Celso's out on loan. Uh, Delhi is... Well, we thought he was going to Everton, but now he's it's going to like, Everton. It's signed. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's a sign. Okay, so De- I know the yeah. Newcastle was trying to pip him late, but Delhi going to Everton, Tangi and Dombele going back to France, going to Lyon. So you know, this is a definite change of the guard in terms of Spurs midfield. They completely have shaken it up. They've sent out the old and in with the new, and these are guys that Conte wants, the manager wants. So you know. You got what you want. Now it's time for the results to come in. I think Kulisevsky is going to start on the bench at first. Um, he has a lot of potential coming off the bench with his energy and his work rate. He's great at carrying the ball. Um, he's great at advancing play with his feet. And he's just, as I said, the, the advanced metrics make him look really strong also. So I'm excited to have him coming in to uh, North London. And, you know, I think he's on an 18-month loan. It was nice to see Spurs make some moves. Like, they, they're kind of almost the opposite of what we're talking about West Ham. They realize that it's not good enough. There's potential for it to be better, at the very least, like top four finish better. And they and they switched it up, man. They 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 really they really put a new flavor into the locker room. So well, they they realized that uh, if they didn't spend some money now, then Conte was going to leave that place. And like I said, August eighth was going to oh. be his day. He walked out of there and oh, it was yeah, going to leave you guys in shambles. So oh, at least absolutely. this. I mean, I still think he's going to expect more in the summer. But it was a good window for you guys for yeah. moving on the rest of the year. I think you're a legitimate top four contender, which sucks to say. Um, but here we are. Not sucks. Not sucks for you. Sucks for me. Good for you. Good for me. Um, what else happened that was fun in this transfer window? What other um, what other news one. do we have? Um, Christian Eriksen's going to Brentford. Yes, Christian that's the Eriksen other big one. coming back to England. That's right. Yeah, good for him. That's awesome to see. I think... That's an interesting fit. I'm curious. To, I'm curious to see how it works, but definitely they're sort of still in that like you know, lower down the table, mid table relegation bubble. So it will be interesting to see. I'm sure he'll help them. I mean, are they going to solidify their place as a Premier League club? That'll be the interesting piece. Um, obviously the big ones have all been Aston Villa. Um, you know, just they've had a pretty good transfer window. Uh. I will say Everton taking Deli Ali feels a lot like West Ham going for Jack Wilshire. Like it just, it feels like one of those moves that has a 70% chance of failing. If that right. makes sense Yeah, no, um, I agree. for Everton. I, I still think, uh, so Everton hired Frank Lampard. I, I don't know. I just, I don't know if he fixes the problems that you they have. They brought in Beck too, right? Yeah, they United. did. So that's a yep, that's, that's a, a good move for that's them. A good that move is for them. a big move for them. That's yeah. the bigger move for them than Delhi. You know. Yeah, Delhi just feels like a really risky one. But I guess Everton have a lot of money. They just don't have as much money as you know the big six do. I, I, 
I mean, I think they had a decent window. I would still say I don't think Lampard does what they need him to do. I mean, the issue with Lampard at Chelsea was the defense wasn't very organized. And that's one of the issues right now with Everton is just defensively, they're not that organized. Right. Similar to watching uh, the U.S. men's national team play Canada. Uh, did you watch that game at all? I know football was on too. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I stayed all of football yesterday. I heard it was a little. I heard it was rough. It was rough. I think it could have been like four or five nothing Canada. Like the U.S. just is not. The U.S. is going to be fine. They're probably going to qualify because you know there'll be teams like El Salvador or country. You know, but they are not. Good. They are worse than the sum of their parts. They're not organized defensively. They're trying to play a style, a possession based style that they don't have the personnel to play, and. Canada, on the meanwhile, I have a lot of talent. I mean, they have Jonathan David, who's one of the, you know, he's a top prospect striker type of guy. Like, he's probably going to be in the Premier League after the summer. But they don't, I don't think they have, they have as much talent as the U.S., and yet here they are. They're better than the sum of their parts, and they're playing well because they're coached right, and they're not, they're really organized defensively. Like, anytime you looked at a good U.S. attack, uh, there were, like, eight players in the box, it felt like. Uh, down low for Canada like it just it never felt like the U.S. really sniffed any really good opportunities to score whereas Canada had a ton of good opportunities on the counter and if they were a little more clinical it would have been a bloodbath so Burhalter needs to go it's just not even a debate at this point but it's not going to happen until we qualify for the World Cup and we're just going to get embarrassed in the group stage. Like we're going to lose a bunch of games, like three or four, nothing in the group stage and then bounce out. Do you see a situation where even after they qualify, they maybe make the switch? No, I think, no. uh, the, I just don't loyal. see them firing him. Yeah. I, I mean, you're so close to the world cup now it's, but the point is what you would do is you'd bring in a coach that's strong defensively and would organize them and, you know, simplify the system a little bit. Right. But no, what's going to happen is we're going to go into the World Cup trying to be Manchester City, and uh, we're just going to lose a bunch of games for yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to be right. It's going to be like that '98 World Cup in France where the U.S. just got like completely embarrassed in a similar fashion, where they were trying to play a more attacking style, and once right. they actually had to play good teams in an important competition and not just like a friendly, they got exposed. I think the same thing's going to happen. Um, but yeah, they'll probably qualify. Cool. Um, cop back up over just to wrap up transfer. Um, Sorry. Obama, oh, it's all right. Obama. No, do you know quick asides? No worries. The Obama and the Barca is, is, is uh, going to Barcelona. It looks like to end that marriage between him and Arsenal. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. That looks official. Uh, I wonder how, you know, who else, else is going to a Barcelona? Who else is going to Barcelona? Triori. Oh, did you see that? Yeah. Him and Spur- it was down to him and Spurs yeah, for. Uh... Yeah, I did. I did see that. I'm not saying this to. I've make fun already. Of Spurs. I've I'm already forgotten like, about it. That's how disappointing that was. The oiled you. up muscle machine is going to be uh, playing at camp now. Yeah, with with Obama. Yeah. Maybe we'll see him in the round of 16. I don't know. Because they're in Europa. Six month there was... deal. Yeah. Six month deal for Obama. Yeah. But yeah, no, I. That's right. I knew to Traore. They kind of pip Spurs for that signing. I mean, you know, what they what they paid Traore, I'm not too upset. I kind of feel like, you know, the number that Spurs was, was the number I was reading for Spurs, I think was like 20, it was somewhere between 15 and 20 million, and I think Barca gave him like what 30 mil for him, I think. Yeah, it's a good fee. I mean, good bit of business by Wolves too because it's a player that they weren't really as reliant on um 
you know, right. he was coming off the bench more and more frequently. And so now they get 30 million for him and he's over in Barcelona. Uh, everyone's happy there. I, I just, I don't think he would have helped Spurs all that. I, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody's really going to like unlock him and turn him into the clinical player. Uh, but right. we'll see. He's fun to watch. I think what Spurs, chaos. I think what Spurs wound up doing is going to help them a lot longer. And that's, you know, trying to, you know, get someone in the midfield to link up play between the back line and the, and the strikers. Yeah. Know. Usually I think you're overly positive, but I think you're right on this one. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, having some new, having with the way Conte likes to play, having, you know, more pace and more depth in the wing would be nice, but you know, I'm not, I am not upset with the moves that were made for them today. Yeah. Um, want to talk a little devil's hockey while we're here? Uh, we could talk a little devil's hockey. We can we can end up with the NHL. Um, yeah, the team's great except Blackwood. We need a new goalie. That's- yeah, that's pretty much my summary. Uh, yeah. I really enjoy watching them. They've been in all these games. I mean, they've been losing a bunch of games lately to good teams, but like you know, there's no shame in losing a two-one game to Carolina where no, play was all. pretty even. Same with Tampa Bay. I mean, they held their own against Tampa Bay. What I really am enjoying watching is a lot of these young players are coming along. Yeah. Uh, Jesper Bratt is going to get paid. I don't like, and uh, there's talk of firing Lindy Ruffett for some people. And I yeah, think that's, that's a silly. terrible idea, right? It's silly. The issue you can't be is, blamed for Blackwood. And, and the issue that. is the goaltending. You expected Blackwood to be at a certain level and he hasn't played at that level. You're not going to get that level from all the, you know, taxi player, taxi squad goalkeepers. So the problem with the devils right now is between the pipes and they need to figure that out if they're going to compete because right now, so, uh, the new devil's beat writer for the athletic Shana, I forget her last name. She's great. Uh, I really like her articles because she, I thought, I always thought Corey was a little over, like over presented the analytics to the point where sometimes mm-hmm. I'd just be like reading something and tuning out. She's really great at presenting the analytics just in context. And then not, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but she's very good at what she does. I like her a lot. Um, but she pointed out that the devils have given up, I think something like 11 goals below more than expected based on just expect like league averages and kind of like the shots against and everything like that. And it would count for something like, I forget what it was. It was a lot more than 11. It was, but it was supposedly it would count for something like in the models, you know, 10 points in the standings or something like that, which would have the devils as a bubble playoff team. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Not going to make the playoffs over, but like Boston, I think the East is pretty much decided at this point because there's a big gap between Boston and the next team, but they'd at least be right in the mix. So, right. yeah, it's frustrating. But watching Jack Hughes turn into a superstar before our eyes, watching yeah. Jesper Bratt become a star yep. has been really cool to watch. So it's a lot of, I mean, and uh, who is, oh, God, I should I wasn't ready for this, but since Dougie's gone down, uh, I mean, Severson's really stepped up. Even. Absolutely. It's been yeah. And I don't think, and I don't think the Devils should be looking to trade anybody in this on this team either. I think they just kind of need to hold serve right now, um, you know, unless there's some sort of that really blows them away, which I don't see coming. I think they need to hold serve and just keep going with this with this core, and you know, address the goaltending thing in the off season. You know, maybe you know, I'm, I'm looking right now on who's going to be available. I mean, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, eh, uh, maybe. Darcy just give us league average. Just get get in some league average goaltending. Yeah, give me like we might Darcy, actually be decent. Give me I mean, that's what's Kemper. crazy. I'll take if, that. If Blackwood, if Blackwood had turned out to be the superstar goalie we thought he might end up being, imagine where the Devils would be right now. Because just league average mm-hmm. goaltending would be 
if league average goaltending brought them 10 more points in the standings, imagine what they'd be with like a superstar goalie. So it's actually, and you know, the other underrated player for the devils has been Siegenthaler. He's just been unbelievable since uh, Dougie went down. He's been a rock. So it's pretty cool. Like I think they're yes. Shots against aren't a great thing to look at, but uh, the goaltending has been bad and the defensive play, the forwards have been pretty good. Like I don't have a ton to complain about. You can't fire Lindy Ruff because Blackwood sucks. Right, exactly. That, that's exactly where I'm at, too. Uh, Jack Campbell's also a free agent from Toronto this offseason. So just, like I said, league average help that could just kind of get this right. And then you have, you know, you put Blackwood as the backup, and maybe, maybe he, he figures, figures it out. out. Yeah, yeah, maybe he figures it out. But, you know, until you look for you look in the draft, too, and you try to draft somebody in the next couple of years to maybe be ready as a rookie when – use and and brad are hitting their prime and we're in the middle of dougie's deal you know if the only issue right now with this rebuild is the goaltender then i'm not too upset with anything like i said you're seeing the development in use you're seeing the development in brad you're seeing that these that he use has like a next level that on, that is reserved for some of the best players in the league just got to keep in mind a lot that he's what 20 yeah but he's unbelievable. Some of the passes he's seeing, wow. the chances he's creating. Yeah. And that's the other thing. He could have more points. I mean, there have been, he's created like, I would say five or six chances, even just the last, you know, since he's been back from injury that are just setting guys up with an open net and then they shank the shot or something like that. Like just, yeah, he's unbelievable. It's really a pleasure to watch. Uh, Rangers, I think are really, um, I think their rebuild was shorter because they went, kind of a free agent approach. And then their goaltending has been, give the Rangers credit. That's what um, it's been. What's his name has been unbelievable. Sturkin and Georgia ever have just been, you know, awesome. You know, yeah. they, they, they have two of what the devils need one of. That's just what it exactly. comes down to. It's you know? just, it's almost, it's like, you know, we had Brodor for all those years, but there were so many, I mean, all those Rangers teams that were good were built on the fact that like they had a decent forward group and a good defensive group, but they had Lundqvist. And it seems right. like they're building the same exact thing again. So it'd be a pleasure to watch them, you know, not qualify for the cup or, you know, losing the cup finals a bunch more. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, biggest thing I'm seeing with the Rangers right now, and you talk about how they've drafted, you know, Capo Caco is looking more and more like a bust as time goes on. He looks, he they, skates like a beer league player. Yeah, he does. He just man. doesn't look fast at all. Doesn't look fast he doesn't look like he has the space. Rangers fans will tell you that the problem with Lafreniere is that they're not playing him on the top lines. And I could get into that train of thought if you have him up there playing, maybe you want to play him up there, but has he earned that sort of, you know, recognition You're, with this play when he's up there? I've heard that, and I haven't watched enough of the Rangers to say for sure what that is. But to me, that doesn't pass the smell test because you're telling me that if you put him against in tougher matchups, defensive, like, you know, with tougher matchups for defensive players, that suddenly he's going to start scoring more. I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's that. the thing with the Rangers, though. I think, you know, Panarin, they got Panarin, Zabinajad, and Kreider up top. And, you know, I think if just any one of those guys goes down, you know, the Rangers are going to have problems replicating the success they've had this season. You know, yeah, I, I, just, I don't think they have the firepower that, you know, you think they I have don't, for a first-place team. I don't know that their rebuild is truly – I think they're ahead of the Devils, but I think they're ahead of the Devils because of their goaltending and because their top line is, you know, a right. group of really great NHL veterans. Um, I don't know that they're like actually building up for the long term the way the devils are where the devils, if ever, you know, it's, it doesn't, you don't have to squint anymore to see it with the devils. You could see that, you know, 
get a good goaltender in, these guys keep continuing the path, the trajectory they're on. And suddenly we're going to be one of the best teams in the NHL. Like you don't have to squint anymore to see that. It's actually a little clearer as you know, the path forward. So hopefully devils don't do anything stupid. Don't fire rough. Don't fire Fitzgerald. Just, you know, stay on this path and maybe stay the course two more years. Stay the course. I know, I know our ownership 2024. I know our ownership (laughs) group has heard this before, but trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. (laughs) I think that's the note we should end on. (laughs) Trust the process. All right, man. Well, on that note, um, great episode. Great talking as always. And, um, we are Pop Sports Shorts. Thank you, Jared, for joining us earlier. Uh, you can find us on the Fourth Wall Pop Network with all our friends, such as the Most Lavish Podcast, we from up here, New Normal Wrestling, the Crossroads, the Pop Culture Collective, and Get Get Grill. I think I got them all right there. I think you got them all. Oh, and Smoking Jays. Jared shows Smoking Jays. If nobody else on this damn network watches Yellow Jackets, I'm going to have to do a Yellow Jackets pod on my own because it is that good. Go I got to get into Yellowstone first. I have so many. Yellow Don't, Jackets is Yellowstone TV, seems right? Yellowstone seems dumb. Yeah, yellow seem Jackets good. is Apple TV, right? Yeah, yellow. no, it's Showtime. So just sign up for like the one-month trial of Showtime, binge it, and then uh, come back right, for I'll, season two. There's not much else on Showtime. I'll try and get at it at some point. But, it's good. Um, you get if you want to buy some merch from the, from us or any of the Portable Pop Network, follow our link in the link tree, and we will see you soon. Matt, anything left? Yeah, uh, on Yellow Jackets, Montclair, New Jersey native Christina Ritchie is incredible. So just go watch it. Somebody else watch it so I can talk about it with. You. I haven't heard that name in a long time. Oh, she's so good in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Catch you soon. Catch you soon. Bye.